Hi, everyone. How's it going? Welcome back to the quarantine edition of the Keep It Quirky podcast. This is Katie Quinn. I am thrilled to be back with you. If you're new, welcome. This podcast is all about conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs. I'm bringing a conversation to you with a person who I've wanted on the podcast since I first had the idea for a podcast. And I was like, when is the right time to do it? Now, now's the time to do it. I'm bringing in my mama. You guys weren't aware, this Sunday is Mother's Day in the United States, which of course means that even though I live in England is when I will be celebrating Mother's Day because my mom lives in America. So in honor of that, I am finally bringing you a conversation with one of the most outstanding, inspirational, warm, intelligent, intuitive women I know, and that is my mama, Susan Quinn. I am not sure what else to say to bring her to you, um, except for to just say that she is many, many, many things, and we touch on a bit of them. Fun fact to start off with, my mom is the youngest of nine children. Her mom, my grandma, is the daughter of Italian immigrants, gave birth to many, many, many children. (laughs) And my mom is the runt who has really made something of herself with this life, which you will hear more about. We talk about friendship, we talk about entrepreneurship, career, community, using your voice and being a well-rounded person, how sharing our stories can help build movements and the good old to-do list. And so I think I'll let the rest of this conversation really just speak for itself. I really hope that you guys enjoy this interview. Gosh, you know... Mom is just incredible. She is a ball of fire in all the best ways. Without further delay, here is Susan Quinn. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. It's good to see you. Good to see you too, sweetheart. We had a call um, just a couple days ago, and it was so wonderful. And I was like, I wish that I were recording this conversation right now because it's just wonderful. And I do think that other people could learn from the the way that you live your life. Um, I certainly have. Um, And and so dad will get his time another time. uh, Because when I also realized that Mother's Day is this Sunday, I was like, okay, you know what? we're going to do this. Katie, don't, don't put it off anymore. Let's just do this. Um, so thank you for being game. Uh, well, thank you. That's just heartwarming that you're timing it the way you are. Um, and you know, you're right. The conversation we had a few days ago, I just was wonderful to talk to you and have you kind of reflect on ways that, you know, I influenced you. I, you know, you live your life. You don't think too hard about, well, you think really hard about yeah. it. <laughs> you think really hard about it. But um, what you brought up were, weren't the first things that I would call to mind. And um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to have another perspective on just kind of like how you live your life. And um, it, it gave me something to think about. It, it really did, and it, it felt really good. Well, I'm glad. And, you know, I think that this time of the pandemic and quarantine and isolation, 
I do think it's inspiring a lot of people to be a little more self-reflective, maybe a bit more introspective. Um, and and so I, this is another reason why I'm, you know, wanting to put a conversation between us out there is because I think some of my most significant aha moments or introspective moments are in conversations with you, have been in conversations with you throughout. The podcast is about passion. The podcast is about entrepreneurship, (laughs) you know, food and cooking and travel. And these are all things that you and dad, but we're going to concentrate on you for now, um, you know, that you have imbued in in my life. And so as an adult, I have such a such a strong appreciation for it. So let's start with entrepreneurship. Children of entrepreneurs are more likely to be entrepreneurs. You and dad have had a business together, which I'll ask you to talk about in a moment. Um, and as life would have it, both of your children, Brian and I, were both self-employed entrepreneurs. I think we would both consider ourselves entrepreneurs and not not just freelancers, if you will, because there's a bigger impetus. There's a there's a bigger vision behind what we're doing. It's not just to pay the monthly bills, um, which is one way that I distinguish that. So why don't you why don't you fill um, fill people in on your career? Yeah, yeah. I'll try and I'll try and give your listenership the skinny. Um, so I'm an optometrist. I graduated from optometry school in the early '80s. Um, met and fell in love with a man who was three years ahead of me in optometry school. He was going through a residency in cornea and contact lenses at the time. And um, when we graduated, we decided we would hang up our shingle. We basically decided we would have our own business. Now, at the time, if I can just give you a little context, I'd love to say, oh, that was so adventurous and creative of us. Actually, in the industry, most professionals, whether they were dentists, um, physicians, optometrists, would basically do that. They'd go go into practice for themselves. Sometimes they joined an existing practice, but what we did wasn't as much so so trailblazing as, as kind of the way it it, it, it unfolded typically at the time. We could have gone to a an existing franchise, like I think there were maybe in the early days of Pearl Vision or Tuckerman Optical. Anyway, there were franchises, but we really had a strong sense of wanting to provide care the way we wanted to at the time. Um, so that wasn't so unusual. What was unusual, what was really challenging, was we opened up our shingle in the early 80s when the going interest interest rate was 18%. Which is really high. (laughs) Astronomical. Astronomical. I mean, we're now we're in a a time of record low interest rates. We got a small business loan for 13.5% and we just thought we hit the jackpot. I mean, knowing what I know about business now, I would, I would have thought long and hard. I would have not opened a practice in that kind of um, business. Mm. Isn't that funny though, but what you know at the time, but you guys made it work, you know? You, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, maybe maybe um, a little bit of naivete going into it, a little bit of a dream that, you know, this vision of what was ours together um, really kind of fed that. We both have reflected since and thought, you know, if we would have known it was going to be that hard, uh, because we worked one of the one of the two of us drove out of town every day of the week for the first uh, four or five years of our professional life um, to put food on the table while the practice grew um, mm -hmm. and to, to, to be able to make enough money to pay our loan and the interest rate and you know, all of that. Uh, but we reflected and wondered if we would have done it again, knowing what we know now. Um, we, we've said no, but I don't know when it really came down to it. We're so proud of what we built. Um, it was so much a part of our vision and so we, we were able to treat so many wonderful people, so many people who were our patients just just meant so much to us. I mean, um, it's, I think it's fair to say like your, your <laughs> there's no separating your professional um, world and your career over what 35 years or whatever it was um, from the community, the the town of Athens, Ohio, where you raised your family, uh, where I grew up. Um, there was almost no separating that because you fostered community so much with your job, and, and you know, like all of my friends went to you guys for I to to be their eye doctors, you know, and like I think that the two things are are kind of inseparable. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because we did, over the years, we had um, several associates. By the time we, we sold our practice, ultimately, there were four, the practice had grown, and there were, um, I think, five optometrists when Dad and I stepped out. We were working part-time at that point. Um, but we, so we worked with a lot of um, associates through the years, and I can remember one associate, an amazing um, optometrist and still very active in the profession and has his own practice now, but he left Athens. It was, he just had the sense that it was too much, too much of a small community. He would say things like, I walk out to get the Sunday paper in my bathrobe and I don't want people to see me and know they, you know, I don't, I don't want them to see their, you know, eye doctor walking out to get in his slippers, or I'm, I'm getting a six-pack of beer at the grocery store, and I run into a mom and the 11-year-old I just examined two days ago. I don't, I don't like that. And it just never, that struck dad and I is so foreign, because that's just not how we felt about Athens. That's not how we felt about our community. I mean, you know, I, I'm as inclined as the next person to get a six pack of beer or a bottle of red wine. Yeah, that's right. I, I just don't, I just didn't think of it that way. Um, but it, it really did foster a strong sense of community in us that, you know, to, to this day, Dad and I um, have a really, uh, it's really hardwired in us that what uh, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And, you know, that to me sound really high-minded, but it's not. I mean, it's just a simple way of kind of living life and feeling really connected. So what is it like now that you, so you, you know, excelled in, you specialized in low vision care in your career. You, you were a go-to person for that in the state of Ohio. Um, and, and now what does it feel like You've just retired. You and dad have just retired. What, like looking back on 
this career and, and this time you have in your hands now? What's that like? Oh, gosh. Well, that's a really interesting question. And I guess I'll try and be succinct because when you asked it, I started kind of going off in all kinds of uh, directions. Um, I guess my first thought was we wanted to retire while we were young and could invest ourselves in other aspects of living life, um, travel, um, maybe art, learning another language. Um, and, and even though I was really accomplished in my field, I never wanted it to define me. I kind of resisted that. I, I, I didn't want it to be everything that I was. Mm -hmm. So I have to, I have to be honest. I mean, there are times that I miss it or I just find myself in an awkward position of describing to somebody what I do. You know, for instance, I was on a zoom call. We were interviewing um, a woman who was going to serve on a statewide board that I'm very um, invested in. And we went around and so, you know, I, I, we, we gave we gave a little bit of background on ourselves, each one of us on this Zoom call representing this board. And <laughs> I found myself just kind of like, just, again, just dicing words a little bit about, well, I used to do this, but <laughs> it was a very big part of who I am. And it informed who I am. It gave me the kind of skills that allow me to, to move forward and participate in the world, in the larger world, in a way that I find meaningful. Um, so it's, it's very much who I am, but it's not all of who I am. I felt really, it was kind of freeing to be able to look at myself that way. That's, well, that's interesting. You're talking about that reminds me of, like, I have that same kind of like, how do I refer to what I do? And I think that, you know, it's the whole multi-hyphenate thing. You know, I've interviewed Emma Gannon and she wrote the book, the, the multi-hyphenate um, I'm forgetting the exact title of her book. I'm blanking, but but I she's all that interview. I loved that interview. Yeah. Oh, Emma's fantastic. By the way, her book just came out in the states. So for any anyone listening in the states, it's a UK author. She's fantastic, and the book just came out in the states too. And you know, she talks about it in that book, and I thought about it, and it's like when we are all multi hyphenates in our lives in general. But if you have a career that you know, is easy to rattle off in one word. And then that is how you end up defining yourself. Mm -hmm. But some of us have careers that are not as easy to rattle off the tongue. And, and I think it's interesting because I think that it actually reflects us as people better than, than being able to boil it down to one word. Even when you were at the height or the, you know, apex of the frenzy and success and everything with the practice, it might have been easiest for you to say, I'm an optometrist, but that still never, that never fully defined you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, and you know, there's another way to turn that around too. I just thought of this as you were talking, like, what is our compulsion to want to put people in a box? And when we ask someone the question of what do you do, we're uh -huh. kind of forcing them to try and succinctly describe who they are. And that's, um, you know, that's kind of reductive to start with yeah. when we could just um, know them in a way that helps us share what we have in common, um, right. their passions, their interests. Sidebar, I just learned yesterday that a woman that I know and know her through Pilates class, she has a beautiful smile, beautiful eyes. I just learned she's a PhD in microbiology at at OU, she's married to a pretty prominent surgeon in town, and I didn't even know 
she was a PhD in microbiology. It's like, oh, there's two Dr. Saltzmans. Oh, you didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> you were just like the the friendly person I did Pilates with. She's, a, she's lovely, and that. But then she said we were talking about COVID, and she said, "I feared this forever. This is my specialty." This, this particular niche is my specialty. And um, just in, in email back and forth, wow, you know, I, I didn't know that about her. But it's okay. It's just another part of who she is. I mean, maybe a very defining part of who she is. But I know her as this lovely woman with a great smile and a very easy manner who supports causes I support. Yeah. That question, so what do you do? Like, to me, that is just so reminiscent of my decade in New York because that's all people asked each other. That's all people were really interested in. I mean, it like that city is such a go, go, get ahead kind of mm -hmm. city. And it didn't even, and nothing else about a person necessarily mattered, <laughs> especially upon first meeting. But mm -hmm. so like, what is the better question to ask? Hmm. This is interesting. Um, and I don't think there's maybe a socially... <laughs> In, in the in the lingo of how we interact with each other, I mean, we do it's almost cliche. I mean, we're used to we're used to talking to each other in that way. Um, you can probably maybe make it a little bit more broad. I mean, tell me about yourself. Who are um, you? But see, who yeah. are you is even a little odd. Yeah, that, that, feels, <laughs> that feels a little like aggressive or something. <laughs> who am I? Oh my God, I don't know. Who am I? And then you just like. <laughs> spiral off into an existential crisis. Usher them from the dinner table to the couch. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's a right way. And it might just be, I guess, how we take interest in the person aside from what they do. And, you know, I think inquisitive people, you know, people who are just, just, uh, generally inquisitive. Like you said, you know, you can learn something about them in a way that kind of opens up that the, the relationship a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. You know? Speaking of the ma many ways that to define you, I remember in an early episode of this podcast, actually, I think it was just before a Mother's Day as well for the, in the first season. And I, and I brought up you know, your professional career, but then also said like, and one of the most passionate gardeners that I know, like you have such a green thumb, digging around, getting your hands in the dirt, getting, you know, your overalls are covered. I'm sure I mentioned your bread baking and we can circle back to that if, if we want to, but I mean, just the house smelled like baking bread so much of my childhood. And it's, I do, I do think it's why I'm, I'm so taken with bread as an adult and, and I'm writing a book partially about it. Um, <laughs> then when I also said like that you are incredibly involved in Planned Parenthood, um, one of my listeners actually she was like, I was bowled over because it was like, oh, cool. Okay. She had this successful career. Oh, she likes gardening. She likes baking. Cool. Oh, wow. And she's, I forget at the time what I said, but I think, I think that as, the older I get, so I'm, I recently turned 34, as you know, and I think that that's a side of life that I would really love to strengthen. Mm -hmm. I'm less all about 
success in terms of a career than I was. That's obviously very important, but I realized there's more to life and I really want to make a difference in, in the world, in, in the things that I think are important. And, and I realized that, um, you have shown that for me with your actions my whole life. Oh, thank you. You, well, you really have. Um, and, and, you know, just to put it out there, like Planned Parenthood can be a controversial thing, you know, and yeah, well, yeah, you know that, but, you know, and, but as an eye doctor, you, you were a bipartisan eye doctor. You're just like, okay, this is something that I care about. This doesn't make sense to me that this, the way our system works, this doesn't make sense. And, and so I'd love to hear about how you got into that because you don't define yourself as an activist at no, all. I don't. No, <laughs> not at all. And in fact, I, I have, um, when I first joined the, the Planned Parenthood Board of Greater Ohio, my involvement with this organization goes back a few decades. One of my first comments was, you know, look, doesn't every, doesn't every parent want their child to have information. It's, it's not, we're not encouraging promiscuity. We are providing broad information about sexuality, about human reproduction, or health, healthy relationships. We're helping them make good choices right. that can have lifelong consequences. Isn't that bipartisan? You know, couldn't we reach out, you know, across the aisle? It's all about prevention. It's education. And one of the board members at the time, he shook his head and said, Susan, Susan, Susan. <laughs> In other words, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds great at the time. We know reality isn't like that, I guess. And and it was more of a it was more of a kind of a laughable moment. But I still believe it. I still try really, really hard to be able to speak in ways that allow people to kind of see the common sense and come together on this. We all love our children, and you know, putting. Putting children in, in this environment, in this day and age, with all of the information out there on the internet, and just the culture of, of you know, a sexual, how sexual beings develop in, 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 in a first world society and our first world culture, you know, and having them do that without the benefit of understanding themselves and their sexuality is like putting children in a chemistry lab and hoping they don't blow themselves up. Yeah. <laughs> that's not my that's not my thought. That was, was someone I worked with early in this organization said that he was a chemistry professor as a matter of fact, and I thought that's perfect. You know, we really need to equip children with education. So I mean, education the need to prevent and educate young people led me into this organization. And then frankly, um, how it is really the lightning rod for controversy, even though it Planned Parenthood provides about a third of the abortions in the country. But they, because they're an organization that believes that this is a um, part of reproductive health care and needs to stay um, as an option that a woman has uh, between this woman and and her beliefs and her doctor, that, that they believe that and they've always steadfastly represented that. 
um, they've become the target. But we do so much more. Three per, about 3% of the resources of Planned Parenthood um, go to providing abortion services for women, 3%. 97% go to um, health care, providing contraception, newsflash. If women have unfettered access to contraception, there will be less unplanned pregnancies. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it, it's so much, there's so much that's common sense here that I think is reasonable that is common sense. Surely we can appeal to um, people's sense of reason and help them um, appreciate all the good that this organization does. Right. So, you know, I mean, Early on, that was that was how I felt like I could simply use my voice. It hasn't always been easy for me, mm-hmm. um, but um, you know, I keep I keep really stay, staying true to that principle, and hoping that I can simply use my voice and find um, reason. We can deal with this in a way that's reasonable. Yeah. And well, you know, you're, one of the reasons I really admire you for your involvement in that is because what I'm realizing more and more is that I need to own how I, the world that I want any future children we have, the world that I want them to experience. A lot of people who other folks look to as activists would say the same thing, like, I was exposed to something that just kind of evoked either outrage or it was yeah. ridiculous or yeah. and those emotions. God, we have to listen to those emotions, right? Yeah, and then yeah. Do something about it um, mm-hmm. aside from just like you know writing something snarky on Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know what I find is interesting is once people start to tell their story, like there's a few ways to approach this. And some people are very driven by data. They analyze it and they're philosophical about it. I, I'm not necessarily I'm quite driven, though, by someone's personal story, a truthful accounting that's not that's not biased, just laid it out there. This is what happened to me. Mm -hmm. In the course of my my time with this organization, I've heard more stories that are either like, that doesn't make sense, or that's outrageous, or that's downright heartbreaking, that just having, just sharing your story is enough to, I think, build a movement or a sense of, uh, a hardwired sense of, this just makes sense for me. This is, you know, we can hold two truths in our hand at the same time. It's not black and white. Life is not black and white, but we can hold two truths in our hand at the same time and look at the grays that exist between them and move forward in a way that we feel is, is just and, um, you know, make, make that kind of world, just as you said, you know, invest yourself in a world that um, makes us proud to be part of that larger community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh, you know what? What? This is grandma. Aww. Was, so, you know, let me answer it. Yeah, and answer us. Just in that moment, we got three generations on the pod. Well, good morning. So, Mama, guess who I'm talking to right now? I'm going to show you a picture of who I'm talking to. Oh, wow. That's Arcadia. Hi, Grandma. 
And thank you. Isn't she dear? Hi. Isn't she beautiful? She is so beautiful. Oh my gosh, you guys. Gosh, does, does that just not make you feel good? I mean, that makes me feel good. It should make you all feel good because they just think everyone's beautiful. When I hop back in to interviewing my mom, I change gears to ask her about her artwork. How's your drawing going, by the way? we You haven't really given me many updates on that. Oh, interesting you would say that. Okay, well, I, I, uh, I've given myself permission not to draw because... I, um, I started drawing uh, just a few months before I retired. I started taking drawing lessons and <clears throat> it was a little bit of, oh, let's develop this part of this. Well, because, you, because you've always liked to draw and I do think you have an innate ability at it. I mean, that is great. But so, but so yeah, tell me how that's evolved. So was well, it, it, started, it started to feel like work. I mean, I wanted to get good at it. I wanted to, I, 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 I took lessons and I learned like different techniques yeah. And I'd, I'd apply those techniques, not sometimes not happy with my results, or I'd spend a long time working on this sketch that I knew was really good. And then again, because I'm still a rookie and I'm refining things, I continue on and I feel like, eh, I ruined it, botched it. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and so I would, I, uh, I started to put a lot of pressure on myself. And when the pandemic hit, I thought, oh, perfect. I will just uh, not, now I can just like dive into my drawing. And uh, a few weeks passed and I didn't pick up my um, pad. And I started to feel guilty. And I just kind of shook that off and thought, you know what? You draw when you're ready to draw. Don't feel like you need to draw. There's a lot of other things you can do. Good for you. Man, I feel like so many people have gone through that exact same thing. It's like, oh, there's all this free time. And like, quote unquote, free time. But like, it's, and so I've totally done the same thing. Even since, uh, what? Can I give a plug to Julie Noki, one of your colleagues who I know is doing now a lot of her own content? Comedy sketches. Yeah, she was amazing comedy sketch. She was actually the pilot episode of this podcast. Oh, right. I remember that. I didn't know she was the pilot. But Julie did this great piece on talking to her, like, drunk alter ego in the mirror. Yeah. It it was really funny, the back and forth, really funny. Um, But then at the end, the drunk alter ego gives her some great advice. And I thought, wow, that very, very um, profound and poignant. And it was kind of like what I told myself about, you know what, let drawing go right now. Just don't put that kind of pressure on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. If you could see my list of things to do when, so I just handed in my book manuscript, the first, the first pass of the book manuscript, just what, like three days ago, well, four or five days ago now. Anyway, my to-do list has been like French lessons, Italian lessons, guitar lessons, read this book, journal this, like, do you know, podcast stuff, video, YouTube video stuff, because I've had all these, you know, and I'm like, waking up more stressed than I was when I was finishing my manuscript. <laughs> so you know what? It's it's a good um, reminder to me too. And I hope it's a reminder to everyone. We're all you just doing that, our best, right? Yeah, you know what that tells me? I kind of like think of a to-do list as a little bit of an accordion, right? Oh. And when you've got these like deadlines that push everything else aside, the accordion is just kind of 
compressed, but you take that deadline away now, the accordion expands, oh, I want to do this, 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 this. It's great. You've got that energy. You've got that natural, like, inquisitiveness about life and, 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 and what you want to explore. But yeah, you know, like, play the last few minutes of Julie Noki's script there and give yourself a break. Easy. Easy does it. Mom, I mean, I, I could talk to you forever, and I mean, we, we talk all the time, but... Um, I think that I should probably wind down our conversation for for the public. Listenership. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you're like keen to say? I really, I guess, I just want maybe I'll have you back on another time. But I really just wanted to introduce you to people. Um, you, have, I, it almost feels silly to say just because I'm your daughter. So obviously, but you have gifted me with so much. Um, the way you live your life, just so much wisdom. Um, oh, thank you. And and so I, I just wanted to at least try to share a bit of that with with anyone who is listening to this. Um, any is there yeah anything else that you want to say? You know, I um, I guess I just like to close by saying um, any relationship is a two way street, and. Um, you have gifted me more than I could ever put words to. And I'm going to have a hard time talking through this. <clears throat> but, um, you know, that I thought before that if I was a peer and I met you, I'd want to know you. I'd want, I'd want to be your friend because of the kind of um, energy um, and, and, uh, uh, optimism and, and how, how you, how you just, um, what you bring to your, to your presence, to people you're with. Um, and that's not something that I can take credit for. That's kind of hardwired who you are. And it's just been such a joy to watch you grow and grow into yourself and grow into the woman that you are. So, I mean, thank you so much for giving me credit, but I think it might be misplaced. I think um, you've always um, been thoughtful in your approach to the world from the time you were a little two-year-old and actually three. I took you to a dance class and you put on sunglasses and a hat and this little being. And somehow I looked at you and thought, whoa, isn't she feeling it today? Took you into that dance class and something in the dance class disarmed you and made you feel more vulnerable. And you took off your sunglasses and put them in your lap. You took off your hat and put it in your lap and just kind of cautiously looked around you. And I thought, oh, what, what was it that made her feel more vulnerable? But then you stepped into the dance class you, you, you were yourself, and somehow throughout your life, you've, uh, you've managed to take in life, always have a really strong sense of who you are, um, but be very um, conscious and kind and able to laugh, able to laugh at yourself. I mean, this composite of who you are, this is just one amazing woman that I see. So lucky me, lucky me, one of life's greatest blessings. I love you. <laughs>
Pipsqueak. I love you too, Pipsqueak. All right. Okay. Pipsqueak is a whole other story. I'll, uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll Next time I want to talk about you. <laughs> We're just say there. Okay. okay. You. I love you. Thanks for coming on the pod, Mama. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Right. So the story with Pipsqueak is that when I was a kid, I was little and cute and my mom started calling me Pipsqueak and she still does, even though I am much taller than she is. Um, So now, you know, she's the Pipsqueak, but that's okay. I'll still take Pipsqueak. I'll always be her Pipsqueak. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Love you. Speaking of amazing family, thanks to my brother, Funky Brian, for the theme song you're listening to right now. And my dad, Tom Quinn, don't worry, buddy. We're going to get you on this podcast. I hope you're all taking care of yourselves out there in isolation land. You guys are the best, and I always love hearing from you. So please holler at me on Instagram at cutekatie and at Keep It Quirky Podcast. Don't forget to keep it quirky. Always, always keep it quirky now more than ever. All right, I'll see y'all back here real soon. Bye.